CGSW 90.9 FM. That was a track from Bri Webb all the way from beautiful Guelph, Ontario for us this morning. If, um, if you've been in touch with folks out east, I think uh, they're experiencing some uh, record-breaking warm temperatures, probably in the high teens, maybe even low 20s. Uh, not too far off here in Calgary this morning. Um, and it's uh, all for the uh, the leap day, I suppose. And maybe uh, with the Alberta budget coming out, the leap backwards day here in Alberta. I've got with me now our first guest on the show today, Jordan Dye. He's Director of Business Renewable Centre Canada. Good morning, Jai. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing good this morning. How are you doing, Peter? Good. Great to have you on the show. The uh, The UCP announced a, a moratorium on, on new renewable projects last August. That expires today. Um, and we did find out yesterday at least some information on, on what comes next for renewables like wind generation and solar generation in Alberta for, for electricity production. Uh, what do we know about this new <clears throat> these new regulations uh, for renewable projects in Alberta, and, and what do we not know? Uh, yeah, so we know that their government will be instituting new rules across at least three areas, um, including reclamation, viewscapes, and agricultural land, as well as some small changes to how municipalities have standing and uh, signaled coming changes to transmission costs. And you're with the... Um the director or you're with the business renewable center canada can you tell us a little bit about that organization and the work you do in the province yeah so the business renewable center of canada is a initiative of the pembina institute uh, we work with large-scale buy corporate buyers uh, such as amazon rbc telus that purchase the renewable power from a project to offset their scope to emissions so we focus heavily on the education of these buyers and helping to move deals forward in the province quicker uh, since 2019, uh, corporate power purchase agreements, the stuff that we work on, have been responsible for $6.3 billion in capital investment in the province and uh, constitute a major portion of the renewable energy that's come on. Just for example, 35% of all new power that's come on and since 2019 was paid for by corporations. So yesterday we found out that uh, under these new regulations, there would be a, a quote-unquote like buffer zone uh, around what they what they called uh, and may yet to be defined protected areas uh, and pristine viewscapes uh, that would ban the addition of uh, new wind turbines. Um, what what is the industry's reaction to that? We need to understand exactly what they meant by protected areas. Uh, I think there, there's some confusion based on the minister's comments in the presser and in interviews after signaling that it, it, it's supposed to be around the foothills and the mountains. However, when they announced it, all they've said so far is protected areas. When you look at uh, protected areas in Alberta, it would actually constitute a ban on 63% of a land in Alberta. Uh, we hope that's that's not what they intend with that. However, uh, as the minister said yesterday, the rules will go into effect on March 1st without a list of those actual areas. So uh, just on a couple areas, we're looking for more clarity from the government on what this actually means, uh, because if we just take it at face value, it's going to have a very large impact. There were, I, I believe, other um, members of, of industry that referred to the, this new, uh, these new regulations as 
an uncertainty bomb for the industry. And it's certainly this uh, provincial government has hasn't been quiet on uh, the importance of certainty for the oil and gas and fossil fuel industry in the province with respect to federal regulations. What does all of this uncertainty mean for the industry? Yeah, so I don't know if I'd say uncertainty bomb, but definitely the way I'm looking at it is the moratorium started with uncertainty seven months ago and has ended with uncertainty today. And so I also want to highlight that the impact this has on oil and gas, too. I think that's something that's often missed in this as we just talk about renewable energy. The oil and gas industry in Alberta has government mandated tier requirements they have to meet. Oil and gas companies have entered into PPAs to offset their scope to emissions within the province as well. And Alberta's system for renewable energy actually allows you to pick whether you're going to generate renewable energy credits or offsets. So it would allow a very flexible option for our oil and gas industry to address their emissions. And making that harder actually just increases the cost for oil and gas companies to address their emissions. So it, it it's a little more interconnected than we sometimes make it trying to talk about, you know, renewable energy or oil and gas. And back to your point on uncertainty for the industry, the last seven months have just been, uh, you know, a pause. Uh, we know that there was a pause on approvals, but there was also a pause on investment, a pause on looking into, into Alberta. And where we stand today, we need more information on key areas before the investment community will be able to lean into projects and move forward. What is that? <clears throat> what does that investment look like in Alberta in terms of dollar figures? Like, what we, have we seen? Uh, we know there's been a, a, a pretty significant increase in investment in new renewables development in the province and, and in fact I believe leads Canada uh, what does that look like in terms of dollars today and uh, and jobs um yeah so like I said uh, from a corporate PPA perspective it's about 6.3 billion and over 6300 jobs uh, at peak construction uh, when we look forward uh, while there are 26 projects at the final stage of the approval queue that was talked about yesterday there's actually 162 projects in the the pipeline right now so when we when we look at the full pipeline it's about 36 billion dollars worth of capital investment that could come to the province as these projects are completed now i think it is important to caveat that not all projects that are on that list would get completed by the end of it some will come off uh, we usually see about one to five cancellations before the moratorium in a three-month period uh, but all the projects that do get built at the end of the day aren't on the list currently. So it does offer a good look at, at what you could expect from the industry going forward. What are some, in terms of that development and and that sort of, there's been a, a call from uh, some people in the renewables industry, I believe, for fairness with respect to other different sectors like oil and gas in terms of having similar requirements imposed on on both um, how does that differ today in terms of what an oil and gas development like um, a, ta a tailings pond or, um, or an oil well or a gas well versus a wind turbine or a, uh, a solar farm? Well, I think it's important to start from the original rules for renewable energy that, that were updated, you know, between 2016 and 2019 were built off of the oil and gas rules. Uh, and that's because, you know, we always are trying to uh, increase the stringency of rules and, and make our province a better place. I don't think anybody is surprised by that. 
What is surprising is that there will now be uh, two tiers, I would say, uh, of regulation for different sources of energy, which fundamentally goes against our open market energy market principles of being technology agnostic. So for for instance, I, I believe it was um, Martin Alinsky yesterday who was saying in Alberta, um, you know, a landowner can't say no to, to an oil and gas company and drilling a well on their property. And after yesterday, now can't even say yes to a renewables development. Is, is that sort of the, the equity that the industry is expecting? I wouldn't say expecting that uh, that is, is the outcome that we're, we're sitting at now. Yes, uh, a, a farmer in southern Alberta who who understands their land best uh, and what they can grow and produce on it. it that, that's the, the key here is I think that the, the farmer's best place to understand how to best use their agricultural land. That's the, the problem. And yes, there are land use restrictions for all sorts of things in rural Alberta. Yeah, you know, the premier was correct. You can't just use your land for what you want. But it gets into a weird situation where, as you said, a, a farmer who may be looking at a solar project that could become, you know, 20 percent of their revenue and used as a real anchor project is forced to take an oil and gas well. And, and as you know, we have a problem in the province right now with inactive and orphaned wells. I think the other thing that I would highlight in a difference between the, the two industries is that there will now be a security requirement for uh, renewable energy projects, while there is not a security uh, requirement for oil and gas projects. Yes, there there is the orphan well, but that's a liability management system that's paying in. It's not the same. And I, I think that's just a distinction that wasn't really made yesterday in the press conference. Is there currently, you know, based on the industry that exists today, is there a, uh, has there been a liability issue with um, end of life solar or wind projects not uh, reclaiming the land? No, we haven't seen uh, a reclamation problem in the renewable energy industry as of yet. I, I, you know, to be clear, it's a, it is newer than the oil and gas industry. So I, I think that you can't rule that out, which is why the majority of the industry had reclamation clauses built into their contracts. This wasn't something that was being ignored. That's, I think, an important thing to raise here is no one was saying don't reclaim land. The other thing is it isn't the exactly the same as oil and gas. So you can't make a comparison to reclamation in the same way. At the end of an oil and gas well, the resource is depleted. There is no more value from that project. It's not the same with wind and solar. At the end of the, you know, you go out 50, 60 years when the concrete is done, when the steel can't be done, if you had to fully replace the entire project, the resource is still there. Not only is the resource still there, you have 50 years of very good data on how much it will actually produce. Uh, there's a, a case to be made that the, at the end of life for a renewable energy project, there's more value than there was when you initially made that bet on building a project in that location. What does How does the industry... Um counter some of the concerns that the UCP has brought up around um, losing what they call prime agricultural land to these developments? Yeah, I, well, we, uh, as we did in our Module A submission for BRC, we highlight that uh, between 2019 and 2023, there were no solar projects built on Class 2 land in the province. The majority of projects are actually built on class four to seven land with some on the, in the class three area. So we're talking about the projects already being built where the government says they want to see projects built. Can you explain uh, those that, land classes? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so 
the land uh, classification system is a federal government uh, program that's used across the country. So when we're talking the high quality land uh, for agricultural purposes is class one and class two land. Uh, Alberta has class two land. Um, when you look at class three, it's very dependent. Uh, it can go either way. Kind of think of it as a moderate land, uh, depending on your, your water and other uh, aspects of, of your uh, crop that will determine if that and produce at a higher level, your class four to seven uh, is considered low suitability agricultural land. Hmm. So we um, so we know that uh, pr- going into the the sort of surprise announcement in August that there's going to be this moratorium on um, on selectively on the renewables industry, uh, we heard a lot that the industry was in fact not consulted on this at all. Has there been consultation to um, to get to this point where we have these new regulations right now? And is this is this sort of more in line with what the industry was asking for? Uh, we need more details. That's It's hard to answer that question uh, with so many key details of each of the aspects left open. I will say that the government, through the inquiry and through meetings throughout the time, was meeting with the members of the renewable energy industry during the inquiry. Uh, so I will say that that did change from you know pre-inquiry, n- uh, no consultation, moving into a moratorium, which I, I do want to point out that the, it's an unprecedented moratorium. We've conducted inquiries of including controversial energy sources such as coal bed methane uh, without holding a moratorium. Uh, so that did change as we moved into the moratorium and there was more consultation with the industry. However, without details around you know key aspects like when will the reclamation security be required, that it will have a major impact on the actual rollout of that program. Uh, what do they mean by protected areas? Again, we're talking 75% of southern Alberta banned for wind development. That's a major impact. Whereas if they meant only you know 35 kilometers from foothills and, and the mountains, that that's a much different uh, it's a much different outcome. Uh, and that's really the message that I'm trying to drive to the government right now is that we need certainty. The the industry needs certainty. We need to move forward. Uh, the government says that they want to move forward with a strong renewable energy industry with, you know, an agricultural first. So we can, we can take that. But we need to get answers to these aspects. Is this, a, in effect, an extension of the moratorium if there is, in fact, still all this uncertainty? I do think that we're in a soft moratorium, essentially, at this point. Uh, I do not think that you will see... And, and from my discussions, you will not see a, a massive move forward with projects or, or new investment. And especially when we talk, so on my side, the corporate buyers looking at this, they have to enter into 10, 15 year long contracts with the developers. And that be, they become the anchor for these projects. Uh, corporations aren't moving forward with a 15 year contract with this much uncertainty around government rules for how their projects will be handled. What's at stake here if this uncertainty continues? A thriving industry that's set to grow, Alberta's clean grid, cheaper power for Albertans. And potentially, we released an analysis last week that looked at what would the tax uh, income to rural municipalities be from these projects, right? And uh, our analysis shows that by 2028, with if all these projects go through, we would be looking at $277 million in annual municipal taxes. And these are for regions of the province that have between four and 6,000 people in their tax base. It's, they're not areas that can increase their tax revenue significantly. And these projects offer a consistent, reliable, and pl- like 
planable. Let's say I think that's the key here is that they can actually look forward and start planning for some of the dreams that the you know rural municipalities have been advocating for for years. We actually in our release last week compiled a, a list of projects that came from small municipalities' budgets that they've been you know advocating for with the government asking for funding and highlighted just how many projects around southern Alberta would be go- able to go forward if these governments had access to consistent uh, and high value revenue. Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show this morning to to chat about this. Thanks for having me, Peter. Once again, I've been speaking with Jordan Dye. He's the director of the Business Renewable Centre Canada, part of the Pembina or a project of the Pembina Institute. We'll be back with more of of Palgrave Almanac after this. Sure. 